Welcome back, everybody, to the Busting Brackets podcast. I'm Connor Hope, here with my co-host, Brian Ralph, and we are joined by Dakota Cox and Pan Corrales to discuss the SEC and the American conferences. Before we start off, uh, we were going to take a look back at the past week in college basketball. There were some big games, some pretty big outcomes, and, and a couple of controversial ones. So I wanted to start with you, Brian. What were some of the games that really caught your eye uh, this past week? For me, it was the two games involving Kentucky. Earlier in the week on Tuesday, LSU uh, beating them on a controversial call at the end, um, which there may have, could have been a couple of controversial calls on the end of that game, but I thought that result, I think, spoke volumes uh, in the SEC specifically and then also kind of nationally with regards to LSU. Uh, and then, of course, the Kentucky-Tennessee game from the weekend where we saw Kentucky rebound in a big way uh, and Tennessee sort of – fail or not perform well in their first uh, real big test that they've had since they beat Gonzaga way back in early December. Dakota, what about you? What were some of the the games that you, that caught your eye uh, other than those Kentucky games? Uh, Well, one of the biggest ones I saw, I was actually there for the Alabama Florida game. Of course, Alabama and Florida are both, you know, on the bubble. So uh, every game matters and Alabama is pretty much where they were last season because last season they kind of struggled there at the end and they needed uh, an SEC tournament win to make it to the tournament. I still think Alabama's in good shape, even though they did lose, you know, on their home court to a Florida team that they honestly should have beaten. But one thing I think they really need to do is keep putting the ball in Kyra Lewis's hands. If Kyra, uh, obviously, like, Alabama doesn't have an amazing uh, scoring threat, but I think Kyra is definitely their best bet. And I think even though he's so young, putting the ball in his hands is the best way to win games for Alabama moving forward. Yeah. And we'll get into this a little bit later. I think that we can all discuss and speak to the, the inconsistencies with both Alabama and Florida and how difficult they are to, to really judge, but we'll get into that a little bit later when we discuss the, the sec pan, what were some of the games uh, this week that you, you really enjoyed watching? Um, One of the ones that really pops out to me was Iowa state and Kansas state. Um, and I don't really watch a ton of the Big 12, but I think that, you know, Kansas State had such a huge week last week. Um, and it looked like they really had a shot to strangle out the Big 12 um, and just get blown out on their home court by Iowa State, I think was really huge. And then Kansas, you know, they beat Western Year pretty easily. And now they're, they're back in nine and four uh, within half a game in Kansas State. So I think that was the one that really popped out at me on a national stage. Um I've got some uh, some mid-major stuff. Um, I don't know if any of you guys watched the Metro Atlantic, but that has become – obviously, I know it's not a huge draw here, but that's become <laughs> a really dramatic league all of a sudden. Um, do you guys mind if I if I talk about the Mac really quick? Yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, so Canisius and Monmouth were coming into the weekend atop the, atop the league, and they go one and three. Um, they lose a bunch of games at home. They lose some bad teams. Um that sets up the Siena Quinnipiac game today. I don't know if you guys heard about that, but um, Cam Young for Quinnipiac set a, uh, a school record with 55 points today. Um, and the winner of that game moved up to uh, Ty Canisius at the, at the top of the league. So it was a really huge weekend over there. Um, Ryder goes 2-0. Iona wins to stay to stay um, up there at the top. And now there's six, six teams within, within a game of the top. So that's become a really dramatic, fun league. So... If you guys don't pay attention to it, uh, take a look because there's only a few games left um, in the MAC. 
so yeah, that that was that was my piece on, on mid major basketball this week. Yeah, that's gonna be a, a really fun conference tournament. I feel like I mean, a lot of times when we talk about mid majors and conference tournaments, if like you know a, a five or six seed in one of those conferences wins the conference tournament, people talk about changing that conference tournament structure to give the better seeds a good chance to win. But I mean, in the in in that conference, I call it the MAC because it's because of the two A's in the middle as opposed to just the regular <laughs> Mac. Um, you know, whoever gets that six seed might might roll through and have it not really be a fluke. So I, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I agree. That's going to be a lot of a lot of fun. Yeah, and really anyone can be anyone. And, and the conference server is going to be in Albany where Cam Young just dropped 55. So he's obviously pretty comfortable at, at Times <laughs> Union Center. So so Quinnipiac has a good chance. Canisius has a good chance. I mean, Ryder came in as unanimous number one in that league, and they had dropped five straight, but I think they're, they still have the most talent. So I think they have a good chance. So, yeah, everyone keep an eye on that. That'll be a fun tournament. It'll be a fun end to the regular season too. Yeah, no, that's definitely a fun league. And and the other league that I actually had some fun watching this this weekend, uh, Friday, obviously the only big game on the docket was Buffalo-Toledo, which turned out to be a, a pretty good game. Uh, but the Ivy League gave a lot of uh, a lot of fun games to watch, uh, two overtime games, and, and the, that Yale-Columbia game was also pretty fun to watch. Um, so, I, I mean, that was kind of something that I just – I, I watched because it was on and it was the only game on and I'm not going to watch the celebrity all-star game in the NBA or anything like that. So uh, that was fun. Uh, I went to uh, St. Mary's uh, Pepperdine this weekend. Um, unfortunately, Colby Ross went down. Uh, I haven't checked to see if there's any update on his injury, but it, it looked pretty bad on his ankle um, at the end of that game, tail end of that game. So yeah, but yeah, I mean, th- there's going to be a lot of, really fun mid-major tournaments this this year um specifically conferences like the socon which have a couple of teams that have all had their eye on a possible tournament bid but you know we there's no guarantee that they're going to get multiple bids so the the uh the tournament will will be uh one of those ones that people should watch those will be conferences too, where uh, a lot of, I think the, those teams like Florida and Alabama that Coe has mentioned before, those, those sort of bubble teams for major conferences will be watching closely because if Buffalo doesn't win the MAC tournament, that's a, that's a, they're getting an at-large bid. So that's one less bid that would go to a power conference. Uh, same thing in the mountain West with Nevada, obviously the West, the West coast and Gonzaga. Um, although I don't know if that's going to happen. Gonzaga's rolling through there pretty easily. Um <laughs> But that, all those those tournaments where there's it, this year there are more mid major lock at large teams than there have been in years past, and so if some of those teams were to fall in the conference tournament, there's an opportunity there for some of these conferences that normally don't get a lot more than one bid to get two, maybe even three bids. Yeah. So you had mentioned uh, teams like Florida and Alabama, and I think this is a perfect time to jump into the SEC discussion. Uh, Dakota, I want to get kind of a sense from you as as someone who covers Alabama pretty closely. They seem like one of the most inconsistent teams. They they win the games they shouldn't or or are not necessarily expected to. They lose the games they're ex- they're you know expected to win. Um, it, what's going on down down in Alabama? <laughs> Well, honestly, I'm pretty sure I start every single Alabama article with saying that they are the most inconsistent team in college basketball. And it's something that we've we've struggled with the past few years. 
I mean, if you look at, I mean, the past two years, we've made the SEC tournament semifinal. Uh, two years ago, we definitely shouldn't have done that. We upset teams in the SEC tournament, but then we always lose those games. For example, you know, Alabama lost to A&M at home on a buzzer beater in a game that they definitely should have won convincingly. And it's just something that's always plagued Alabama in the Avery Johnson tenure, something that fans are very frustrated with. I mean, and it's something you just know going into a, a game. If you go in in a game that you might need to lose or you should lose because you're going against a better opponent like a Kentucky, you feel like you have a better chance to win than if you go up against a Vanderbilt. I mean, Alabama fans were struggling to look at Vanderbilt on the road as a lock win, and we were confident when we hosted Kentucky at home. It's just something that I don't, I don't understand what causes it, but it's, it's just part of the inconsistencies that Alabama's played with. The thing that really uh, is a struggle, though, is usually most of those inconsistencies come on the road. Usually we're a pretty good home team, and we can you know, upset teams like Oklahoma last year and Kentucky this year uh, in Coleman Coliseum, and then we struggle on the road. But this year, especially recently, just, of course, the A&M game, uh, Georgia Southern, I believe, earlier in the year, and now to Florida, that's th- those three home games that you should win if you want to make the tournament, and they're we're 0-3 in those games. And that's, that might be what determines Alabama's season moving forward. Yeah, and then, yeah, Brian, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it. This is something that's been the case since Avery Johnson took over. They've had some talented teams. Uh, you could argue, I, I think last year's team probably better than this year's team because of Colin Sexton. But this year's team on paper should be at least a, a seven or six seed in the NCAA tournament, maybe. Oh, no doubt. I think uh, they just the, – the inconsistencies that I, I think come from the coach are the biggest problem holding them back. And Avery Johnson is, is certainly a qualified coach. And then he won NBA Coach of the Year with the Mavs in 06. Like, he's somebody who has some pedigree, which makes this a little bit more puzzling. But his track record at, at Alabama speaks for himself. These seems to be doing less with more, even though – Sometimes, normally when it matters, he does more with the more. And that's what that's yeah. what makes it so maddening. Yeah, and honestly, a lot of people, uh, Alabama fans are inconsistent as well because as soon as we beat a Kentucky, we're like, oh, we have the best coach ever. We'll have a bobblehead night in his honor. And then we'll lose a game and everyone wants to fire Coach Avery Johnson, which something that I honestly don't understand, uh, you know, watching them. Yes, there are some struggles, but you have to think about the – program that he inherited it took him so long to get his guys in there and now they're in there he still has some inconsistencies but I don't see any other better option for him than what Avery Johnson's been doing for this team and I think they will make the NCAA tournament and I think it will be because of Avery Johnson and it'll be you know another good thing to add to his resume as a college coach but most of what he has like you said is NBA stuff like for example I have we actually have bobblehead night and it has all of his accolades, and it says 23 years in the NBA, 16 players, seven as a coach, NBA coach of the year, NBA champion, jersey retired, Alabama head coach, NCAA tournament, second round. That's all he has on his college resume. And they always talk about his NBA resume. So he needs to bulk it up, but I still believe he's the best option Alabama's going to have. Yeah, I don't I don't think you can dispute that. He's a, he's a solid hire, and if, let's say – Alabama or program like Alabama was looking to hire a head coach, he'd be somebody who would be at the top of the list and somebody the fan base would get excited about. 
I, I think the challenge for him has been in making the move from the NBA to the college game, getting players motivated on a nightly basis, going from it, – it, it's anybody can get up to play those Kentucky teams, those big games that they play. But when they play some of those lesser games or mid-tier games that maybe aren't on national TV or aren't as hyped and are just sort of games, that seems to be the ones that they struggle with. Yeah, definitely. And it's one of those things also that once it starts happening and you get in that rut, it's hard to get out of Mm -hmm. because now Alabama is known as the team who struggles in those games. And when you have, for example, like Vanderbilt, they hosted Alabama recently. And even though Alabama won, Vanderbilt went in that game without an SEC win, thinking that they were going to beat Alabama because Alabama was going to come in lackluster. And even though Alabama won, they didn't look fantastic. So it's one of those things that once you get that reputation, that makes it even harder to dig out of that hole. And the hole just keeps getting bigger, it seems like, especially this season. All right. Speaking of, of Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt has six more games on their regular season schedule at Tennessee, at Alabama, home to Florida, at Texas A&M, home to Arkansas, and at LSU. Do they get a win in the regular season conference slate? For, uh, and if so, where is it? <laughs> The only one that I could see would be hosting Arkansas. And that's that's a really tough game. I know Arkansas is a you know a high quality team, but you're not gonna get it on the road at Tennessee, obviously, in my mind at least. And maybe Florida, because I know they have some other big games and they're they're one slip up away from out of the tournament, so there's gonna be a lot of pressure on Florida. So maybe they can find a way to upset there. But I would I would say one, and it would be home against Arkansas in their next to last game of the regular season. I think that's the only one that you could you could predict without you know worrying about how good you are at predicting games. Honestly, yeah, I think they get one. Um, I, I, I think they're too talented overall to go winless. Uh, I would circle that Arkansas game and that Florida game as as being the opportunities, but I I have a hard time believing they won't get one uh, down the stretch here. Wouldn't yeah, that be I, just kind of game Bam would lose to? At home to Vandy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it would. I mean, we we were supposed to beat A&M at home. We were supposed to beat uh, the other team, uh, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia State or Georgia Southern. I forget which one it was at home. Lost both those games. So, it, especially at the very end of the season when people think that you can, you know, pencil in Alabama into the tournament – that's usually when they find a way to like work their way out of the tournament almost. So that could definitely be a game that Alabama could lose. I don't see it happening, but I wouldn't be shocked if I walked out of that uh, Coliseum with a loss in Alabama's schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more, one more question, I guess, about the the bottom of the SEC before we move back towards the top. But obviously, Georgia has a new head coach in Tom Crean. Uh, they're not; they're one in eleven this season in SEC play, but they just landed one of the top recruits in the country. How long does it take Tom Crean to get Georgia back to be a competitive team in the SEC? Is it next year or is it going to take more than that? I I think it'll take more than that because, you know, it's not going to be done by just one player. And honestly, I mean, you're going to be able to build around, assuming he stays with the program, Nicholas Claxton, the sophomore. He's a really good piece. He's leading the team in points, rebounds, and assists right now, even though he's only getting 2.1 assists. I think and like steals and blocks. He's leading the <laughs> and steals and blocks. <laughs> yeah. So, literally, it's a one person. So, I mean, 
you know, pairing those two as a tandem might, it might be enough, but I think they're still either going to need to get another big recruiting piece for uh, this class or wait until the next class to make it happen. It's going to take a couple of years, probably three or four until he gets a, a full roster of his guys in there. But I do think next year we'll have an indication as to the level of success that he'll be able to have at, at Georgia. The big reason, or one of the big reasons they hired him was his ability to recruit uh, in hopes of keeping that Atlanta talent uh, and just general state of Georgia talent in state and going to Georgia instead of uh, going out to like UNC or Florida or the other big schools sort of in the Southeast. Landing Anthony Edwards has shown that he's done that. That's sort of step one, right? He, he got a big time in-state recruit to choose Georgia. He probably won't be there for a year. And some of, I, I think we have to see how that performs on how they perform on the court with him before that kind of, we know how far, they can go with green and also if he can parlay that into on-court success as well as then recruiting wins of a similar ilk the following year the year after that so to speak this is step one more has to come but it's a step that no other coach at least in recent memory at georgia has been able to do uh, and that's that's big for both green and for for georgia yeah and if there's any consolation for him he did something that baylor oregon and Texas A&M couldn't do, which is beat Texas Southern at home. So, <laughs> so uh, at least he, he didn't have the, the, the big loss, I guess. Yes. So moving back towards the top of the SEC, another team that was mentioned was before we get to the actual, uh, you know, virtual locks or, or teams that we think are definitely in another bubble team is Florida. Uh, I don't really know what to say about Florida. I, I think they're on the wrong side of the bubble, but if you look at their resume, it doesn't look, terrible uh, brian what, what do you think do you think florida's in out do they have to to win a couple more games down the stretch um, i think they stink LSU. you do <laughs> i think they stink i mean they this is essentially the past two years now that they've had this this core of players who is coming back from their elite eight run in 2017 and every year we keep thinking that they're going to take a step forward and each last year they took a step back and this year they took another step back so I don't know what's necessarily going on in Gainesville with the program. I like Mike White as a head coach. I like some of the, the young players they have on the team. They're just going their own direction, and I can't figure out why, and I don't have any faith that they'll pick up the wins they kind of need to pick up here down the stretch. The bubble is weak enough to the point where I think they could get in because, as you mentioned, even though I think they stink, their resume is still solid compared to some of those other bubble teams. The question for them, they're going to be one of those teams who's rooting – for Buffalo, for Gonzaga, for Nevada to win their conference tournaments and they keep that bubble large to give themselves a, a better chance and to feel more confident. Because I don't think they're going to be able to get those sort of real big wins that they're going to need to feel more confident on Selection Sunday. Yeah. What about you, Dakota? What do you think about Florida? I think right now they're still on the outside looking in. And I think they're going to have to make noise in the SEC tournament in order to get in. Because another thing you have to look at is – they play LSU twice, and they go on the road to Kentucky in their last six games. So, I mean, how many wins? At, like, at best, you're getting one win out of those three. And then you should win the other. So, at best, you're going four and two. But, you know, even though they are, you know, high-quality opponents, I think they have a great chance to, you know, if they get upsets, then that might get them in. But I don't think four and two here is enough. And, I mean, who knows? They might be upset by Vandy or – even Georgia, uh, Missouri, but I think they're going to have to make it to, you know, the perhaps like the quarterfinals of the SEC tournament 
sort of like Alabama had to beat A&M last year in order to, you know, cement their spot. I think Florida's going to be in that situation this year. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I just don't like, I don't like Florida's offense. Every time I've watched them play, it doesn't seem like they can score at, at any level of consistency. They've essentially got Kevon Allen, and and that's about it. Um, so, looking at the top of the conference, uh, you've got LSU and Tennessee are tied at the top with Kentucky a game behind. I, part of me wants to say that Kentucky or Tennessee wins the regular season championship, but LSU has the easiest schedule moving forward. So, Brian, you're shaking your head. Does LSU win the regular season conference championship? LSU wins. I, I said before the season I thought they had a chance to be co-champions with Kentucky because I thought Kentucky was going to roll through, uh, and I thought LSU would be really good. I thought they would take longer at the start of the season to kind of come together. They, they struggled a bit early on. I think they went seven and three in their first 10 games just because they're young and they have all these new guys who are coming together. I thought it would take them a little bit longer to come together, but really after, after they lost at Houston was the last part of the last one of those games. And after that, they've lost that, that one game it was kind of a fluke game against Arkansas and that's been it. And down the stretch here, the only game they play against a ranked team is at home against Tennessee uh, on the flip side, Tennessee has Vanderbilt next, and then their next five games, and they get LSU at LSU. They can get Kentucky at home. They play at Auburn. Uh, they have Mississippi State, and they play at Ole Miss as well. Tennessee's schedule ramps up to the point where, you know, you could see them going three and two in that stretch. And if they lose at LSU, suddenly LSU has you – know, they may not lose again. And Kentucky's already a game behind, and LSU – has the tiebreaker over them, and they're not playing again. Uh, as long as Tennessee, or uh, excuse me, as long as LSU doesn't suffer that one sort of real puzzling upset loss and then lose at home to Tennessee, uh, they're they're in. Uh, they're going to win the conference, and I don't think that's going to happen because it hasn't happened yet this year. Yeah. What about what about you, Dakota? Do you agree? For the most part, I do think the fact that they only have to play Tennessee once and it's at home really benefits them. But I wouldn't overlook the back-to-back road games against Alabama and Florida. Like we've already said, Alabama plays up to competition. And Florida at that point will be, you know, pretty desperate for a win. So, I mean, I wouldn't put it in stone. But I I do think there's a really good chance they win at least a portion of the SEC uh, title. Now, I think Kentucky needs to root for pretty much chaos at this point, being a game back at this point. And, I mean, they they definitely have the schedule to – you know, be there if the team falls. But I think Tennessee is going to beat Kentucky at home. I think they're going to split the the two games against each other. And past that, I don't think there's enough room for – there's not enough games for Kentucky to jump back into the race. Yeah, yeah. So, so you don't think that Tennessee was, quote, exposed, unquote, for their loss at Kentucky? <laughs> I wouldn't give it that. I mean, playing in Rupp Arena is a very tough place to play. And – you know, there was a lot of hype going into the game, and I, I'm really impressed with what tw- uh, Tennessee's done already this year. And I think, even though they do have you know the bulk of their schedule at the very end, they haven't done anything to show me that they aren't you know good enough to win those games. So I, I think Tennessee has a good chance to go five and one in their last six, and I think if so, then they should get you know at least a portion of the. SEC title because I don't see LSU winning out even if they do beat Tennessee I think that there's there's got there's probably gonna be some place where they trip up 
I mean, they only beat Georgia on the road by four points Saturday. So, you know, and they, even though they did beat Kentucky, it was like we said, pretty controversial ending. It could have gone either way. So I'm, I'm, I'm not putting it in stone just yet. If I had to guess, I'd say Tennessee wins at least a portion of it, but it it could go either way. All right, Pan, you you heard them talk about, um, you know, the the top three teams from from a kind of an outside perspective looking in. If you're a team that has to face one of these three teams in the tournament, LSU, Kentucky, or Tennessee, which is the team that you'd least want to see in your bracket? I don't think anyone wants to see Kentucky right now. Um, But I do think... LSU is definitely as, dang- as dangerous as anybody. Um, I think they can knock anybody off. But, I mean, Cal Perry just got Kentucky rolling. And, you know, just like, what was it, last year or the year before when Kentucky had a rough start to the season and everyone said, oh, that's it, you know, the, the one-and-done thing's not working for Cal anymore. And then all of a sudden he reels off however many straight wins. He's the top of the, the SEC. I don't want to see Kentucky right now. I don't even – even with the whole quad green incident this year and – you know, all that drama, they're still I, – I think they're the best team in the SEC right now. I, I don't want to see Kentucky. Absolutely not. Yeah, and I know I mentioned it on, I think, our first episode where I questioned whether or not we had written Kentucky off too soon um, because I remember earlier in the year people were saying, well, is Kentucky even a top 25 team? And I know that they actually didn't drop from my top 15. They did drop. I mean, obviously, they they started off a little slow. But, yeah, they've got every – Everything kind of rolling in the right direction right now. Them, uh, LSU, and Tennessee are all uh, on on you know pretty big, if not win streaks. Obviously, LSU lost against Arkansas, and, and Tennessee lost to Kentucky. But um, they've lost, they've won a lot more games than they've lost in recently. So, yeah, I, I'd probably say Kentucky as well. I think when I when the top sixteen teams were released. Uh, based on those teams, and if those were the, that was the Sweet 16, I actually had Kentucky losing in the national championship. I think that they've got a, a good thing going right now. Um, moving down, so we talked Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU. Uh, of those other schools that are kind of, if not locks, near locks to make it, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Auburn, which school do you think is best equipped to which team is best equipped to do some damage in March, Brian? I don't think I'll preface by saying I don't think any of them are going to win more than maybe a game. But if any of them is going to make a sweet 16 elite eight type run, I think it'll be Mississippi State. I think they're the most versatile. I think they're the most experienced of those. I don't trust Auburn and they're sort of just kind of run and gun style it hasn't been consistent for them this year and they've lost close games because of it uh Ole Miss I think is a great story and Kermit Davis has done a fantastic job there this year but I don't think they have the talent to necessarily compete with top end teams on a night in night out basis and we've seen that a little bit the past month in the SEC so I would say Mississippi State but again I, I, I still don't trust them either yeah Dakota uh I would definitely agree Mississippi State uh, of course, Quindary Weatherspoon is the, the leader of that team. And him paired with Lamar Pierce, you know, Pierce can facilitate the offense extremely well. And I really like what they've been able to do. Auburn, you know, they, they ride or die on that three. And when it's falling, they, they just shoot the lights out. And it's an amazing thing to watch. But it's not always falling. And in something like a you know, NCAA tournament, it just takes one game where the shots aren't falling and you can get kicked out. So I think they're much more likely to be upset early 
and Ole Miss, they they pretty much ride on you know Brian Tyree, and he's he's proven that he can do a lot. But when he's when he's not doing those things, you know they they struggle to find it outside of his game. I've noticed. And when, he, when they played Alabama, he he came up to the student section and said he was gonna you know drop thirty on them. He scored nine points and they lost by twenty one. So it's obvious that you know he is what makes them work. And if he doesn't have it for a game. I think they get, you know, sent out pretty early. So I think Mississippi State's your best bet. All right. And then final final uh, thing to address in the SEC, player of the year. Uh, I think everyone can kind of agree that right now it appears that Grant Williams is the favorite to repeat as player of the year. Um, but I, I'm not necessarily sure that P.J. Washington or Tremont Waters are that far behind. Is there Are those kind of the three, maybe add Admiral Schofield in there, but are those kind of the three or four? favorites that one of them is going to win or is there another player that I'm forgetting to put on this this list Brian no I think I think that's that's about right I would put Tremont Waters as somewhat of a distant third behind those Grant Williams is in position two but he didn't play overly well uh, last night against Kentucky PJ Washington clearly outplayed him and if that's a trend that continues again again we don't know how Tennessee or Grant Williams is going to play when they play these sort of NCAA tournament teams every night because it hasn't happened for them yet this year. So he could, that could just be one bad game and he turns it around and he runs away with this thing. But if he continues to struggle, uh, PJ Washington's going to win. Yeah. And I think, I think like you said with Tremont waters, what really hurt him is he struggled early in the season mm-hmm. and that's really going to, you know, if he had what we expected from him or what he's playing like now for an entire season, then the whole picture might be different. But I think, uh, with Tennessee having, you know, a couple of big games, it's Grant Williams is to lose. He can definitely lose it. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, hosting Kentucky is going to be a big one because he's going to get another chance to go up against P.J. Washington. He might outplay him there. And if they, you know, counterbalance, I think Grant Williams takes it. I like what you said about Admiral Schofield possibly being in it. Honestly, I think if he was on any other team and was the, you know, not playing second field to Grant Williams, he'd probably be in the conversation even more. But I think he, ha- he doesn't make it uh, to the top three just because of that, the fact that he has to play behind Grant Williams or, you know, even on him uh, on the court with him. But I think it's Grant Williams that's to lose. Yeah, for me, it was one of those things going into SEC play. I thought for sure it was Grant Williams. But P.J. Washington has made a little bit of a – I mean, he's, he's played a, a little bit better at this, this conference, during conference play than he did in the, uh, mm-hmm. the non-conference. So – and he's playing consistently too, right. fighting, which was the big thing for him. Yeah. So heading into the SEC, I thought Grant Williams was going to kind of walk away with it. But but now that PJ Washington is playing really well for a Kentucky team that is playing a lot better than people thought they were going to play. If you were to ask them in the middle of December, um, I, I think that he definitely, I, I, I tend to agree right now with, with Brian a little bit that I think PJ Washington might be in the lead just simply, if not, simply based on the fact that he outplayed Grant Williams in that game, but also based on the fact that Grant Williams and, and Admiral Schofield are, are kind of a, a close one too. And PJ Washington is clearly the leader on that Kentucky team. So, so moving on uh, good SEC talk. We're going to talk a little bit about the American athletic conference starting off pan. I wanted to get your thoughts on, I, from the from the very start of the season, thought that Houston was a decent team, but I didn't expect them to be this good. Uh, how 
should people approach Houston in terms of should they should they trust Houston come come March? I you know I want to say yes, um, but I'm not so sure. They don't really have a huge win. You know, their biggest win is LSU, which is becoming a better win. Um, but it was at home. They they just they have struggled with Temple. Um, they've gone through. They beat Cincinnati at home last week. But they just they don't have that one big win, and I'm I'm not sure I would trust them beyond the Sweet 16 in the tournament, just because we don't know really how you know if they run into a Kentucky. I mean, obviously they play they play a strong defensive game. They hit the boards really hard. It's it's a balanced team effort. You know that'll that'll get them somewhere. But I'm not sure if you know Corey Davis Jr. You know he's I, they don't have that one player that you can really look to to take over a game. I honestly think that last year's Houston team was better equipped for a deep run. And they almost had that, you know, without that miracle three, that uh, Michigan hit, you know, I I had them in the final four. I think they could have done it last year with, with Rob Gray. Um, Yeah. And this year, obviously the record's better. um, But I, I'm not sure I would trust them beyond the sweet 16 personally. Um, And we're going to see what happens. They have to go to Cincinnati, which I don't, think they're gonna win that game that's on the final day of the regular season and Cincinnati very well could um share the regular season title with them um they're a two-loss team right now Cincinnati in the league they might not lose again um but yeah I'm not I don't think they're a top 10 team um and I don't I don't think I don't think they'll they'll do much damage in March I hope they do obviously but uh that's that's where I'm at on with Houston right now yeah Brian what about you do you trust Houston I'm probably in the in the same boat as Chan. I think Sweet 16 might be sort of this team's cap. Uh, again, it depends on who they would end up facing uh, in that Sweet 16 matchup. Um, great defensively, have been good enough offensively. Uh, Armani Brooks and Corey Davis have kind of been the, the guys carrying them uh, offensively, and that they've been able to get consistent production from a third or fourth guy every night. The third or fourth guy has sort of been a rotating door as to who steps up and helps carry the load with those two, but they've gotten somebody to step up in that role consistently. So I'm not totally concerned about them offensively until they get against those good teams that are able to take away Brooks, take away Davis, and force someone else to beat them. I don't know if Houston has that guy who can carry them against a Kentucky, against even an LSU, um, against a UNC, uh, the kind of team they'd face in the Sweet 16. I think – they're not the kind of team that beats themselves. So I think you're not going to see them fall victim to an upset on the first weekend. And then depending on their seed, I think they're projected to be a three right now, but if they don't lose again, they could go as high as two and get a pretty good draw. They'd be heavily favored. I think in those games, just because they don't beat themselves. And if they get a good draw, I could see them kind of walking into the sweet 16 until they get overwhelmed by one of those teams we mentioned. Yeah. And you had mentioned their, their win over Cincinnati. Um, I'm kind of in the camp. I, I don't know if Cincinnati is that good. I'll tell you, they're not. They're the, I, most, I, uh, they're the most predictable team in the country, and that's not a good thing for Cincinnati. <laughs> I, I think they have a high ceiling day-to-day because I think Jaron Cumberland can dominate at times. And, I, you know, we've all seen it. I saw it in person, unfortunately, a few weeks ago when he came into Temple in the second half. He was just unstoppable. Um and that's why I think Cincinnati's a scary team. I think, you know, you, you said they're predictable, which to a point, yeah. But um, if Cum- you know, if Cumberland gets going, they, they are a really tough team to beat. Um, I could see them 
being upset minded come March. Um, not that I think they have a higher ceiling than Houston, but I think I think they're up there. I think they're a little better than people give them credit for, and I think they're they're they are going to beat Houston last day of the regular season. Have a lot of confidence going into um, Memphis for the conference tournament and and into March. Um, but they don't they don't have a huge win either. I think at Temple is their biggest win, um, and it took them a bit to kind of get rolling. I honestly I thought they were going to jump right back into the top ten this year. I thought Mick Cronin was going to have them right back on track, even losing Gary Clark. Um, and they came out and they just they played a, a really horrible game to reopen um, their renovated arena. They got beat by Ohio State, and it was just an ugly game. No one really got going. Um, but yeah, they they don't they don't have a big win. I I don't I don't really know you know what what to make of Cincinnati right now. Um, you know they're they're ten and two in the conference, so they they haven't really stumbled. They did stumble against East Carolina, which was a really bad loss. But um, I think they could surprise some people, and and, and we're we're gonna find out because they've got Houston coming up. Um, they've got the conference tournament and, you know, they're a pretty steady lock for the NCAAs at this point. So we're going to, we're going to find out. Here, here's my thing with them. The temple win, uh, I think temple is like 75th or something like that in, in Ken Palm. They've played four teams that are, that are ranked higher than that. Uh, Ohio state, Houston, uh, Ole Miss. And then um, they played at Mississippi state, right? And at Mississippi state. They beat Ole Miss uh, back in um, November 24th, Thanksgiving week, uh, at a time when Ole Miss was not the team that they are now. I, I, they kind of struggled early on in the year before Mert coming on. The other three games, Cincinnati hasn't scored 60. And they're the only three games this year Cincinnati hasn't scored 60. And that's been the problem with them is being able to score consistently against the top kind of teams that they play in the NCAA tournament. They go through these stretches where – you know, they go six, seven minutes without scoring, and you can't beat a good team that way. And their game against Houston a couple weeks ago, they had the lead and then didn't score the final six and a half minutes of the game. And that's not something that is just new with this Cincinnati team. That's been something that's been the case the past couple years with Mick Cronin's teams. It's why, as a two seed last year, they didn't make the Sweet 16 is because they went through a big stretch against a good team where they just couldn't score. And then Jared Cumberland is a really good player. They're a really good defensive team. I like McCronin as a coach. I respect what he's done, but they haven't proven to me at any point this year or the past couple of years. And I know it's this year's team, not the past couple of years, but they haven't shown me anything that allows me to have anything resembling any kind of faith in them. No, and McCronin hasn't, you know, he hasn't done a whole lot in March either. You know, his, his own right. resume is not great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my thing is, is, and, and we'll discuss, I guess, player of the year right now. I think Jaron Cumberland right now is probably my favorite to win. Shizalston is, is probably a close second. Um, and and Jaron Cumberland for me is one of those players who, if he can turn it on, he and they continue to play defense well, he can win them a couple of games in March. But but a good defensive team's just not going to let him turn it on. And if you and if you shut Cumberland down, do they have anybody else that can score? Um, and that's probably not going to happen. Um, moving on there, there are two teams, uh, uh, kind of on the bubble. I think one, I think Temple's a little bit more, uh, more on the bubble than central Florida, but, uh, Penn, you can speak more to, to more to Temple. Temple is one of those teams I feel like isn't getting enough press of all the bubble teams. I think other bubble teams, obviously in, in stronger conferences, um, are getting a lot more press, but, 
but Temple's quietly just kind of riding on the bubble. Uh, I are they on the right side, the wrong side? What do you think, Pam? Well, they're on the right side now. Um, after the crazy win yesterday, I don't know if any of you guys saw that or the highlights. Um, they played at South Florida last night, which that's become a really tough place to play. South Florida suddenly put a great team together, and I think they're something like thirteen and two at home. Um, but that was it was an absolutely insane game. It went went down to South Florida having two free throws with less than a second left, down a point, and they missed both of them. Um, I don't remember who exactly it was that took him, but he he was six for six to that point from the free throw line. Misses both of them. Temple wins, um, and that has pushed Temple firmly to the right side of the bubble. I think um, now that the new bracket matrix has them as a either a ten or an eleven, and one of the first four teams not playing a, a playing game. Um, or first four game or whatever they're called now. Um, so right now people are confident that we're going to be playing in meaningful basketball in March. Um, you know, we haven't made the tournament since, since 2016, it's been a rough couple of years and this is Fran Dunphy's last year. And a lot of people are speculating that if we are right on the bubble, that might push temple over just, you know, the, they're going to love that storyline. You know, he's been, getting all this press this year and on, on his final tour. And, but I think, I think they've earned a spot thus far. They've beaten Houston. Um, they've, they had a couple chances. They, they had Villanova on, on the ropes at the fin and they, they couldn't, couldn't beat them. They came, came back for a huge deficit against VCU in Brooklyn. They, they couldn't quite win that game. Um, but they do have some good wins. They, they, they beat Davidson on, on a, on a neutral court. Um, they're nine and four in the league now. Again, that USF win. I, I know to most people who, who aren't following, following the AAC this year, you're hearing that and you're, yeah, USF, but they, they're in fifth place. They're a great home team this year. Um, and I, I think that Temple is, is more firmly in than UCF is right now, just because UCF hasn't beat anybody. And they have a really tough stretch to end this year. Um, they have to play Cincinnati, Houston. They have to come to Temple. Um, they have to play at USF. And really, their only game, their only f- game that that you're really gonna expect them to win by more than a possession or two is is SMU. They could easily finish the year one and five and not make the tournament. Um, I think they need to beat one of Houston, Cincinnati, or Temple, or do something in the tournament to really shore up their resume. Because right now, yeah, net net likes them right now. I think they're 39th in net, but I don't see it without a big win because they could easily finish. 10 and eight in the conference. And that's, that's not going to do it for him. UCF to me is a team that I think is still living off of the preseason hype that they had because they they haven't beaten anybody. We trust that they're a good team because we thought they were going to be a good team, Um, but they haven't beaten anybody and they do have a couple bad losses. Uh, They lost to Missouri and they lost to FAU, Florida Atlantic. I think the second game of the year, which was kind of an eye opener that maybe, should have raised some more questions than it actually did. Temple, to me, of the bubble teams, I, I, I think Temple's on a, in a pretty good position right now. I think they have a potential to win a game more than a lot of the other bubble teams do just because of the way they play, the way Shiz Olsen's playing this year. He kind of leads that trio that I think can go up with anybody. Their problem is getting that fourth guy to play consistently. Um, but, yeah, I – I trust them more than I trust a lot of other bubble teams. So I'm hoping they get in. I'm hoping they don't have, you know, those one or two backbreaking losses that could kill them that are, are there in the American. Cause in the American, there's a clear cut top four 
South Florida has and Memphis have kind of flirted with that five range, although USF's kind of secured that now. And then there's a, a, a bunch of teams that have either disappointed this year or just not that good. So Temple has to be careful to avoid that bad loss. But if they do get in, uh, they're a team who I think could win a game. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be dangerous. Um, I, I don't think there are many teams that Temple, if they play the perfect game, can't play with because mm-hmm. they, they, they have the backcourt. The problem is they just can't rebound. Even when they're winning games, they're getting killed on the boards on both sides. Um, I don't know how many offensive rebounds they gave, they gave up yesterday to South Florida. Um, it was something ridiculous. Um, but they just – Ernest Aflacpe has had a bad knee, so he hasn't been playing. When he's on the court, it's a huge difference for Temple. But with his knee and he gets into foul trouble, you know, he, he can get two in the first few possessions sometimes. And, you know, he's riding the bench all game. So – if the front court can produce, you know, even even be below average on the on, on the glass, then I think they'd be a serious threat to go deeper than people expect them to. Um, but again, it, it's Ryan Duffy's last year. We have to look at, at his body of work too. He, he's never made the Sweet Sixteen, and he's had plenty of really good teams. So, Apple uh, fans really don't trust him, um, you know, to win that big game because he's, he's never done it. You know, in 2010, he had the number 12 team in the country, and he, you know, couldn't do anything with it. And um, the talent's there. We're going to see what happens, but they need to be more consistent. Um, and everyone beyond Chiz Alston and Nate Pierre-Louis really haven't played consistently well. Um, Quinn Rose puts up big numbers, but also he he can go he can go in and turn the ball over five or six times, and then he he can go he can take 10, 10 three pointers and maybe hit one of them uh, certain games. So I think Temple's a huge question mark, but I think it'll be an exciting team to watch come tournament time. Um, for the both of you and, and Dakota, you can chime in if you want. Uh, Shiz Alston or Jared Cumberland, who do you guys think is, or someone else, uh, a wild card, who do you think is the player of the year so far this year? I would probably go with Cumberland right now, but if Houston goes undefeated, I, it wouldn't surprise me if Brooks or Davis got uh, enough votes or enough of the votes to kind of, swing it one way or another uh, but right now I, I think it would be Cumberland yeah I think Cumberland too I she's also his numbers are right there um, and I, I think he's a he, he does he does more well I think he's, he's got a, he's got a deeper game than Cumberland does right now I think Cumberland's more talent more he's got more raw talent but she's Alston's averaging five assists on the year um, he's shooting like 92 percent from the free throw line and everything Temple does is running through is running through she's Alston on the offensive side um, but he does have more help where Cumberland, I think what well, Cincinnati has one other player averaging double digits this year where Temple has two or three others. Um, I think Armoni Brooks is a sleeper. I, I think he's done a lot. He's averaging something like six and a half rebounds and he's, he's six foot three. Um, so that's pretty impressive. I think there are a few other out there names that I don't think will get any consideration, but um maybe have an outside shot if they make a little bit of a run. Marcus McDuffie from Wichita State, he's had a great year. And um, the duo from USF, LaQuincy uh, Rideau and Alexis Yetna, um, have both been having great years. And Yetna's averaging a double-double. Um, he's quietly having a really huge year for USF. Um, but yeah, it, it probably will come down to Shiz Alston and Jaron Cumberland, and I think it'll be Cumberland, but there's still some basketball to be played. Yeah, yeah. moving – I mean, speaking of, of South Florida um, – 
they haven't had a winning record as a team since the the American was you know founded. And this year they're seventeen and eight. Um, they're right in the thick of. I mean, they're they're competing in the middle of the American. Uh, most of their players, with the exception of TJ Lang, uh, have eligibility remaining. Is South Florida is this a, a fluke season, Pan, or is this a team that could compete towards the top next season? I I don't think it's a fluke at all. I um, again with we, with Yetin and, and Redobo coming back, I think they're gonna be really they're dangerous this year. They I think they can beat anybody this year on home court. Um, you know they they didn't get past Houston at home, but they they, they did play them tight. But yeah, I, th- I think next year South Florida will be in the conversation as a top tier AAC team in the preseason. Absolutely. Uh, Brian, what do you think? I don't know if they'll be top tier. Like, I don't know if they'll be able to compete with with Houston or Cincinnati, but I think they could be in that Temple UCF range, probably more Temple range, where we look at them as being uh, a, a more than probable at-large candidate. I'm ready to go all the way to, th- to say that they could potentially compete for a uh, conference title but I think we would look at them and, and consider them a relative lock to make the tournament, which would be a, a huge step for them. Mm-hmm. And tied with South Florida is Memphis. Um, Memphis obviously has, has a new head coach in Penny Hardaway. Um, and they're playing, I think, a little bit better than I expected them to play year one. Uh, Jeremiah Martin's a solid guard. Um, is this a team that, that could potentially maybe make a run. I mean, I know they won't win the, the, the American tournament, but is this a team that could potentially make a run within the American tournament and maybe give, give us a couple teams some scares? I think they could, and, and they're going to be hosting the tournament and they have a great following down there. And I think they'll have a bit of a home quarter advantage. Um, but I, it's, it's another one that you really don't know. You don't know how, how Penny's going to do in, in a high pressure situation. You don't know. Um, what he's going to be like come tournament time. Um, and they, they can go hot and cold too. When, when they came to Temple a few weeks ago, the Temple got out to like a 20-point first half lead and they came storming back and, and cut it to two in the second half. Um, and I think, I think they hit some like two, three-pointers all that entire game. Um, so yeah, they, they, they can come and go. Um, they have decent guard play, which is obviously what drives wins and losses right now. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them make a run to the semifinals or maybe scare Cincinnati or Houston. Um, they're certainly capable of beating almost anyone else on their home court there. Um, but yeah, and that'll be a great project to watch these next couple of years because, you know, people are, are really excited about Penny, but I'm curious to see what's going to happen once, you know, the players that he's coached have aged out and now he's, he's going to be starting fresh. Cause obviously, you know, Weissman was a huge get, but he coached the kid. Um, he's not going to have coached the top recruit in the country every year. Um, so we're, we're going to see, you know, kind of what, what kind of a raw recruiter he is in a couple of years. In the meantime, I think they will put some good teams on the floor and next year, who knows what Memphis could be that, you know, they could be competing for uh, for a championship. They could be right back here um, where, you know, where they are now sitting at sixth. Um, but th- it's definitely an interesting team to keep, keep an eye on you know, the, the rest this year and, and going forward. Yeah, I think 
Penny's past in Memphis recruit, uh, coaching high school in AAU, certainly giving him a head start. Um, and it will be interesting to see. But I think if he's able to parlay that into on-court success next year, because the expectations are going to be sky high for them next year. Right? Like They're going to be probably ranked preseason top 20, top 15. Um, I'm sure some people will probably have them in the top 10 um, just because of the way that stuff, the way that stuff works nowadays. Um, so if he's able to, to parlay that and, and have on court success next year, um, it will be easier for him to go out and recruit. I think um, uh, that I agree. That will be interesting to see with regards to the conference tournament, having it in Memphis is a huge, huge deal for them, particularly because of the way they play at home and on the road. And also just their style of play, the sort of pressure, fast-paced, up-tempo, kind of chaotic style tends to work better when you're at home and you have more fans on your side uh, than you do on, on the road and you're kind of in charge of creating your own momentum um, and just sort of energy. It's a hard style for anybody to, to play against, so I think it could be a wild card and throw a wrench uh, into the mix for a team or two. I, I don't think they won the conference tournament, but – I think a, a semifinal berth is, is probably likely. And then from there, you know, if they end up playing Cincinnati and Cincinnati has an off game, I could easily see them in the finals, but I don't think they'll win the conference tournament. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that that's an absolute stretch, but you know, next year, you know, on top of bringing Weissman in, um, you know, Martin is graduating, but um, Alex Lomax was a huge get when Penny was able to bring him back from, from his Wichita commitment. And uh, Tyler Harris is also, uh, he was a top 100 recruit this year too. So um, they do have some, you know, they, they have the guards and, you know, Wiseman's going to come in at seven feet tall and he's probably going to dominate, you know, the front court in the league. So I think you guys are right that it's safe to say they're probably going to be a top 20 team coming into next year. Um, you know, but Penny obviously needs to do more than, than land one big recruit. You know, we got to see what he, what he can do with the X's and O's at this level. You know, we got to see how he's going to be recruiting three, four years from now. Um but yeah, I think I think next, you know, obviously next year is is the year, you know, that he's either gonna set up a good platform of success or he's gonna disappoint a lot of people. So, um, yeah, yeah. All right, last question. Uh, wrapping things up in the with our American discussion, we haven't mentioned uh, three teams that generally would be mentioned this year. They're just not. Not none of them are good. Wichita State, UConn, and SMU. Um, which team is has the most promise moving forward? Um, you know, does Greg Marshall turn it around at Wichita State next year? Uh, can can Dan Hurley uh, get UConn back to where they were, kind of towards the top of that conference? Pan, Pan which which of those three teams do you think returns, uh, I guess, to form um, sooner? Um, I think Wichita is the most likely. <clears throat> I think you you need to expect them. To be right back. I mean, because they lost what four starters last year. Or they, they lost. Five, they right? lost they like lost their top four. like nine or ten guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. they they got they got killed um, with departures, and they you know they haven't had a good year. But I think they've played as well as anyone could have hoped with with the roster they have. I think Greg Marshall. It's a rebuilding year. I, I don't think anyone needs to look into it any, any more than that. It's you know, Wichita is not as a program. They're not down. You know, they just had to retool. Um, you know, I trust Greg Marshall to to put a nationally competitive program on the court. You know, five out of every six years, um, and I think he'll they'll be right back next year. Um, SMU, I I don't know what the future is for SMU. I don't think Jank's the answer. Um, they've had a lot of problems since 
Larry Brown left with all the scandals that he had there. Um, Shocker. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, they they have um, – I can't remember who who their player is, SMU, who's – when he's been on the court, they're like eight and two this year, but he's he's been hurt. He's been on oh, the yeah. court all year. Um, I think mean, uh, Foster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think they I, – I don't think Jank's going to be there very long. I think they're going to have to find someone else. And, you know, the, the AAC is filled with, with great coaches. You know, you have Greg Marshall. You have Danny – I think Danny Hurley is going to be great. We'll, we'll talk more about him. But, you know, you got Greg Marshall. You have Kelvin Sampson. You've got Mick Cronin. Um, you know, guys with just these great reputations. Um, I, I don't think Jank can really compete here. Um, and it depends on what, what the expectations are in Dallas. If, if they expect to be a top-10 team like they were a few years ago, I you know, they're going to have to make a change if, if they're okay – you know, being 500, you know, having an, an up year here and there, then who knows? But uh, right now I think SMU is kind of in a weird spot. Um, personally, I, I've always liked Danny Hurley. Um, I really like those Rhode Island teams put together. I was kind of, even though he came to the, to the American, I was kind of sad to see him leave Rhodey. But, you know, he's a high intensity guy. I think kids 18, 19 years old, 17 years old, the kids that he's recruiting respond to that. Um, he's already been after some big name recruits, but obviously having the Connecticut brand behind him helps there. Um, yeah, he's an intense dude. I like, I like watching him coach. Of course. Um, I wasn't able to be at the UConn temple game this year, but the first time I'm in person, I see him coach at Leah course and I'll hate him. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll probably go back and forth with them. Cause that's always a fun thing to do with, with those crazy coaches. Mick, Mick Cronin's my favorite. Um, he doesn't like me very much. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I'll, I'm interested to see what what Danny Hurley does. I, I think it'll be a lot better than the Kevin Ollier, obviously. Um, I don't know that he'll win a national championship in the next five years or that he'll compete for one, but I think he's a good long-term solution for Connecticut. Yeah, I think Hurley and UConn probably have the higher ceiling of the three programs. I think SMU is kind of in a place where they're – going to be in the bottom half of the American for a while until they change coaches and find somebody who can kind of get them on the up and up. Um, but I, Wichita State just lost everybody last year, so this year was going to be tough. Um, and, and Greg Marshall will have them, have them back at NCAA tournament contention next year, no problem. Um, they're, the plus side of having everybody leave is that now next year they get everybody back. So they're going to have a team full of experienced guys who know their roles. And Marshall usually has a lot of success with those kind of teams. Um, they'll have to replace Marks McDuffie and find a real go-to scorer and have someone step up. But they'll be right back in the mix. Um, I like them as a solid team moving forward. But I do think that UConn with Hurley can be eventually that sort of Final Four contender um, on a somewhat consistent basis, although uh, it's going to take some time there. And it's not as if Wichita State's having a horrible, horrible year as it is. Right. I mean, they they took Temple to overtime. Um, they beat UCF at home. Um, so, you know, it's not as if, you know, this is a serious down year for Wichita, and, and they're still, you know, they're a 500 team. They're not, you know, it's not as if they fell to the bottom of, of the league. Like, you know, they're not, they're not down there with, with UConn and SMU. And so I, I think that, that should be encouraging for Wichita State fans. And, yeah, you're right. They're going to bring back, you know, Echenique is coming back, right? Um, they're going to, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I think they're going to be back sooner than later. I think next year they're, they're going to be a tournament team. All right. Cool, cool. So we are wrapping up. Is there anything you guys wanted to add? Um, anything you're looking forward to this week or wanted to talk about? One thing that I didn't get to mention 
during our SEC discussion. I, there's a lot of overreaction, I think, from the result of that Kentucky-Tennessee game. It can't both be Kentucky's now super, super good and Tennessee is now super, super bad because either you're giving Kentucky credit for beating a really good Tennessee team, which is why Kentucky is really good, or Tennessee is now really bad because they lost the first good team they played. It can't be both ways. And I think people have gone overboard with that. And at the same token, people forget Kentucky lost to LSU on Tuesday, and people aren't ready to give LSU a bunch of credit. But LSU didn't play that well when they beat this now great Kentucky team that everybody wants to talk about being a top two or three team in the country. I do think that people need to give more credit to LSU uh, than they're giving them. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that I'll, I'll stand on my LSU soapbox all day. Everybody comes around. Yeah, I definitely think that there's a chance. I'm not saying it's likely, but I think there's a chance that all three are in the top ten come or on Monday. So today, mm-hmm. tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think that there's that kind of almost hypocritical. You know, Kentucky's really good because they beat a team that's really bad. Mentality coming out of Kentucky fans. Yeah. So, how do you guys think the uh, the AP is going to shake out tomorrow morning or this morning? I think we'll see Duke back number one. Um, I'll be curious to see where Gonzaga sits. I, I, I still I'll be have Gonzaga three, so I think they stay three. <laughs> but and that's the thing. Do you do you jump move Kentucky up a bunch because they look so good against Tennessee? Or I, don't you... know. I, I, I kept Virginia above Gonzaga even after their second loss to Duke. So right. I, I've had Virginia over Gonzaga um, regardless. I guess, then, I guess then is it Duke-Virginia 1-2? That would be mine. I think the AP is probably going to be Duke-Gonzaga. but Because, I mean, Virginia only lost at, to Duke. They, they, their two losses are to the number one team in the country. So how much are you really going to punish them for losing to the best team in the country? So, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Tennessee got – oh, good. No, I just I think it'll be interesting to see because there's a lot of uh, contradictions between those top teams. Like, you could – you know, someone beat someone but also lost to a bunch of other teams. So, it's going to be interesting to see how I think it shakes out because somebody's going to be pissed off no matter what. I think once Duke got their, got their second one against Virginia, I think it was clear at that point. You know, Tennessee got the benefit last week. Um, of it just having been there, but I think once Duke, you know, had a two and a record against Virginia, I think that would they became the clear number one team in the country to me at that point. Yeah, I agree yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Yeah. Nope. All right, thanks guys. Thanks for listening to the Busting Backers podcast. Uh, next week we'll be back discussing all the teams, all the conferences on the West Coast. Uh, we've got. Yeah, we've got two weeks left, two to three weeks left until the uh, the conference tournaments. And seeing as the West Coast doesn't really have any intriguing conferences um, and, and they're more, you know, individual teams that, that we want to talk about, we're going to do a whole West Coast uh, slate next week. Um, so I'm Connor Hope here with Brian Ralph, Dakota Cox, and Pan Corrales, and we will see you next week.